A while back, I got to go sailing, like sailboat, hoist the mainstays, mind the, the jib, I don't, I'm making up words, sailing. Now, I, I, uh, I imagined it to be something like this picture that you see. That's kind of what I was thinking I was getting into. You know, it'd be us, and it would be like me kind of uh, uh, tapping into the, 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 the sense of my Viking ancestors and cruising through these big ocean waves, and I was pretty excited about it. My friend had a small sailboat, much smaller than that picture, and uh, we, we went over to get it all ready, and yet, you know, there's just this huge process of getting the sailboat ready and all the wires and everything has to be in the right place. And then finally you get it into the water. And I'm just like, I'm kind of really excited about this. And I don't know why I kind of thought it would be some sort of extreme sport, but um, I was excited about it. Now, modern sailboats have a little motor that gets you away from the dock and kind of gets you out uh, uh, where you can hoist the sails and then you can just take off with the wind, you know, the way nature intended, man and sea. And so we got out there, and I'm like, I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, he's, he's saying all the terms, and he's saying, oh, watch, you know, port, starboard, and I don't know what any of those things mean, so then he has to do it. And anyway, it all, it all comes down to the fact that we, we raise these sails, and we're ready for adventure, and nothing. Now, the problem is, is evidently the wind has to be blowing in order for a sailboat to work. We haven't figured that part out, and, and we just were like dead in the water. And there wasn't any like sense of adventure or sense of danger. I mean, actually, you got this sense of like just feeling stuck is what you've got. You just got this sense of just kind of hanging out. Great. <laughs> this is really fun. We spent all that time getting ready for it. And the worry is nothing is going to happen. Without the wind, you're not getting anywhere. Now, I want you to hold that, that idea in your mind. Without the wind, you're not getting anywhere because I think that can be an extremely powerful metaphor for what we're going to talk about in this series. Personally, I am really excited to talk about the Holy Spirit. It is, uh, it is something that we've just not necessarily sat down and spent a whole series uh, dedicated to talking about the Spirit. But before we launch, I want to give us a little preparation for what we're going to be doing in this series because I, I'm hopeful that my sense of excitement about this is going to be contagious because I think this is a crucial topic and, uh, and I think that it will be valuable for us to study together. But so, sort of some ground rules, I guess. This is um, what we're going to be doing in this series. So first of all, I do want to say that whether or not you realize it right now, sitting in your chair uh, or sitting at home, that this subject fascinates you. You may not have realized that. You're like, well, don't tell me what fascinates me. No, I'm telling you, the more you dig into the topic of the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to feel like, whoa, this is what it is really all about. This may be what has been missing in my relationship with God. This, the closer we move into um, a sense and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I think the more that we feel connected to God. And this is what humans long for. We don't describe it that way. We don't use those words, but that is what humans long for. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. So I just want you to know that you are interested in this topic. This is something that fascinates you. It really does. Secondly, this is a huge topic. 
There's not like one or two verses. It seems like sometimes the things that we discuss at church, the things that we get into at church, we really wrangle and there's like one or two verses and we really try to parse those verses out. This is all over scripture. Hebrew Bible, New Testament, it is all over. You, I mean, you can hardly open up your Bible randomly, flip to a page without something about the spirit of God. So it's huge. It's kind of never ending. Um, any of you ever been to the, uh, what is it, the House on the Rock uh, in Wisconsin? You ever see, you've seen advertisements as you go to the Dells for that? That place is amazing. I had no idea. I saw the, the advertisements and like, we have a few hours, so we're going to take the kids. The thing is huge. You walk in and you see this house on a rock. It's very literal. House on a rock. And you're like, that's cool. And then just around every corner, there's another room and another thing to see. And I feel like that's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. Every time you think like, okay, I think I'm starting to get it. Then you round a corner and there's just so much more about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think it's, it's just, there's so many scriptures we could talk about. So normally, I try to be pretty comprehensive when I preach, whether or not that comes across. But I, in my preparation, I always think about what are the questions or the objections that people might have to this, this uh, topic that I'm introducing, or challenges that they might have, and I try to anticipate and answer those. I'm not going to be able to do that. What I'm going to try to do is focus on like one thing per message. And I was thinking, but people are going to sit there and they're going to have questions and they're going to think, Patrick, you didn't address this. You didn't answer this question. So we will get to it, by the way, if you're thinking like, well, yeah, I really want to know about the speaking in tongues and the healing. I want to know about that stuff, which everybody loves to get to. We will talk about that. But if you have a question or a concern or a thought, I would love to hear it. I actually printed up some little slips of paper and they're in the back. You can email me questions. Now, I want to be very clear. I am not a Holy Spirit expert, but I will do the legwork. I will study. And so if you have a question or a thought or something that you feel like needs to be addressed, please, please, please let me know. And so uh, right now, we're planning on doing this series for about eight weeks, which is usually, it's about twice as long as our normal series, but it just, it couldn't be contained. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait, eight weeks, that'll be Christmas. Are we going to talk about Christmas at some point? Yes, we'll talk about Christmas. Don't worry. Holy Spirit has a lot to do with Christmas, by the way. Um, And so eight weeks, but I do reserve the right to make it go longer if we need to, because I just don't think we should rush this. I don't think we should blow past this to get to something else. I think this is so important that as we get into it, you're going to be hungry for it. I really, truly believe that. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump in, because it's important to address this right out front. The Holy Spirit, the topic of the Holy Spirit, does not come without baggage. Every single one of us has some sort of baggage when it comes to this discussion. We just, we all do, uh, because of our varied backgrounds or uh, because, of, because of being raised here in, in this congregation. There's going to be some baggage. Now, some of you, it's confusing. The whole thing is confusing because it's weird. And you've maybe been around a friend that was really into the Holy Spirit, and they just talked about weird things, and they talked about how they saw, they saw God doing this or God spoke to them, and none of that stuff rings true to you. So you're confused, and it's just a, it's slightly off-putting. Like you love them and you respect them, but you kind of keep your distance a little bit because it's just strange to you. It's confusing to you. Uh, for some people, it's, there's some suspicious, suspiciousness about the Holy Spirit. Like, people have claimed to do things in the name of the Spirit that you're like, I don't know that God would advocate that. I'm not sure, but they said it was the Holy Spirit, so how, do you, how are you supposed to argue? And so people have been very suspicious of what the Holy Spirit is and what it does in 
people. And then I think there's just a lot of intrigue. Like, what, what are we supposed to expect? What, I'm, I'm interested, but I just don't know where to begin with this topic. Most of what I was taught about this Holy Spirit, most of what I heard growing up was what the Spirit did not do. What the Spirit did not do. Think about this. Think about teaching any subject by starting off by saying, well, here's what you should not expect. I mean, imagine trying to be like an algebra teacher and just teaching your kids all the wrong answers. Like that, how is that supposed to help them? But that's what I was taught growing up. Like, here's all the things that the Holy Spirit will not do. And I'm like, well, what is it supposed to do? Well, we don't really talk about that. Or trying to teach your kid basketball and say, you know, the first thing you teach them, rule number one, don't dribble, double dribble. And your kid's like, well, what's a dribble? You're like, I mean, I don't, come on, get what are we supposed to do? And so it's just a curious way to approach the topic. And I think it gets approached that way because there's suspicion and confusion and baggage about what the Spirit is. So we kind of need a reset or a refocus when we talk about this topic. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever heard someone use the acronym or the phrase IDK? in their conversation. Now this, we've got the wrong probably demographic here, but if you were a different demographic, I'm not gonna say which one, you might have heard this phrase used live. You have some friend that said IDK. Now, anybody know what IDK stands for? I don't know. (laughs) Right, yes, that's exactly what it stands for. You do know. IDK stands for I don't know, and it's like somehow entered the popular vernacular. So it's a texting acronym. So people with their phones texting, and it's entered the popular vernacular. Now, this is such a weird thing to think about because when you read, when you see that acronym in a text, it took me a while because I forgot about the silent K. But I want you to think about like the wealth of knowledge that has to go into one human uh, conveying that idea to another human, the wealth of knowledge. So first of all, you would have to know about acronyms. You would have to know about the silent K. You would have to know about texting shorthand. You would have to know that cell phones can text. You would have to know about cell phone technology. Just when you see that one phrase, there's this huge body of information that goes into identifying one phrase. And there's just so many examples like that. I thought of so many that, I, that we could use, but example after example after example of like so much knowledge that just gets poured out into one concept or one word. The word spirit is like that. The word spirit is like that. There's a wealth, there's a universe of knowledge. When Paul uses that word, when Jesus uses that word, when when the New Testament authors use that word, there was a wealth of knowledge that went into that phrase that maybe we don't know. See, what we do is we think like, oh, I want to talk about the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. I want to talk about the healing and and the speaking in tongues. I want to talk about all those things. And the problem is, is we haven't learned like what that phrase even means. We haven't learned where to start. It's like someone saying, I want to jump off the 10 meter Olympic platform diving surface and they haven't even learned how to swim yet and so what I want to do with for us today is just not that we're beginners but to talk about like what what do we mean what should we mean when we say that phrase when we use that phrase the Holy Spirit so when we're talking about a huge concept where do you start where do you start when you're talking about something just giant and big where do you find that way in well I think you have to start at the beginning right If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. It all goes back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. If you're going to talk about the Spirit, you got to go 
back to the beginning because the character of the Spirit shows up right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, and this is verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. I don't know if you like like Hebrew language stuff, but you're going to need to like it for this. Because the word spirit is a Hebrew word pronounced ruach. It's that, it's that harsh guttural sound at the end, ruach. It's a good word. So every time you see the word spirit, you can think like, oh yeah, I, can know, I know the Hebrew word. Now, it's true actually, this same word, ruach, is, is translated spirit, but it's also translated wind, and it's also translated breath. All through the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. The word is pneuma in the New Testament. So ruach in the Hebrew Bible, pneuma in the Greek New Testament, and it's translated spirit and wind and breath. Now it's kind of interesting, and I think this actually matters. When you think about the wind, you think about what like what a what a what a first, you know, an early follower of God would have seen. He would have seen the trees. Uh, the limbs of the trees, the leaves blowing in the wind. And he would have thought there is something invisible that is exerting power that I can see. I can see it. I can see its impact. I can't see the thing that's moving. But they called that the ruach. The, the wind is what they called that. And just they used it in a very literal way. It's this power that they couldn't see. Breath, that makes sense too. Your breath is your, your wind. It's your wind. And it's the thing that animates you and gives you power and life. It's your breath. If we didn't have all the modern medical technology, one of the first things we would check for if somebody died are, is, are they breathing? In fact, even today, if somebody uh, gets hit right in the solar plexus and it you know, pushes the diaphragm up into the lungs and the lungs can't take in air, we call that getting the wind knocked out of you. We use the same terminology today, the wind. And so you can kind of see how these concepts work together. Now I want you to check this out. We'll we'll just run through this really quick, but it's important to see this overview. These are hundreds, uh, there are hundreds of examples of this, but we're just going to look at five real quick. In Genesis 8-1, where God sent the ruach over the earth and the waters receded. That's the flood. Or Psalm 33-6, Uh, Talking about creation, this is the psalmist's sort of reflection on Genesis 1. He says, the starry hosts were created by the ruach of his mouth. God spoke it into existence, the breath, the spirit of his mouth, the wind. Psalm 104, 29, when you take away their ruach, they die and return to the dust. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11.5, as you do not know the path of the ruach, so you cannot understand the work of God. You can't anticipate it. You can't anticipate the wind, the breath of God, the spirit of God. And John 3, 8, the wind, the, the, the pneuma, this is the Greek version, blows wherever it pleases. So you can see how these definitions overlap, right? You can see how in that the word spirit, the word breath, and the word wind all might form one comprehensive concept. And so when they talked about the Spirit of God, this is important, they, they thought about it, the Spirit of God is this powerful, unseen presence of God. It, 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 humans are energized to do more 
than they could on their own. So when Moses is leading this nation of Hebrew people and he's, he's, he's interacting with Pharaoh and he's doing the miraculous things, they would say that Moses is filled with the Spirit of God because he is empowered to do more than Moses could do on his own. When David is fighting Goliath, when David is writing Psalms, they're saying David is empowered, he's infused with the, the power of God. The Spirit of God is using him, empowering David to do more than David could do on his own. Uh, and whether it's any of the, the prophets, the prophets were filled with the Ruach of God to, to understand the times and to be able to predict and explain the future to the people to whom they were writing. And in fact, this is something I find fascinating. In Exodus, this is kind of getting into the weeds, but in Exodus, when God told uh, his people to create the tabernacle, he literally said, he goes, I've got a guy named Bezalel who was going to be filled with the spirit to make beautiful objects for the temple. He was filled with the Spirit to do more than he was able to do on his own. Now, maybe he was a good craftsman on his own, but the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the wind of God, the breath of God was going to fill him and empower him to do more than he could on their own. So what we're saying is a definition or a way of kind of beginning to conceptualize the Spirit is this, is that it's this power and presence of God that 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 helps humans or that it makes humans be able to do more, be and do more than they could on their own. We are the sailboat and the spirit is the wind. I want you to hold on to that idea. We are the sailboat and the spirit is the wind. In fact, David, this is a, we sing this, but we're very familiar with this psalm. David wrote when he had sinned and he was worried about his connection with God, he pleaded with God, please do not take your ruach from me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't cast me away from the wind of God, the breath of God. Why? Because he knew, he knew that it was God's power working within him. And without that, he was stuck in the water. There was nowhere to go. Now, I want to tie a couple threads together. I, I realize this maybe has been like, okay, Patrick, that's a lot. It's a lot of verses. It's a lot of concepts. But I want you to see, I'm going to show you four verses. And these verses, to me, they're just like, wow, kind of like mind-blowing when you see these pulled together. But I want you to see what the authors of Scripture are doing, both in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. So Genesis 2, 7. This is an account of creation. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. So we got this dirt formed man. The same, the, the verb is just like a potter might form uh, an object. The God formed man from the dust of the ground. And look what he did. He what? Breathed into his nostrils. That's weird. <laughs> That's a strange verse. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And this pile of dirt became a living being. Fast forward thousands of years. John 20 21 and 22, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them. Jesus, what in the world? That is a weird thing. That is one of the, total pause, one of the things about the masks is that, have, you, have any of you noticed like you have stinkier breath than you thought you did? Yeah, You're, you can smell it all the time. Like you, when someone gets a little too close, when things are a little too close, when their breath is on you, imagine Jesus getting right up to these guys and he breathed on them. What's he doing? It's the same concept. It's the same metaphor. It's the same thing. The wind, the breath of God. 
Look at this, John chapter 3, verse 9. This is a famous encounter of Jesus and Nicodemus. The wind, the wind blows. Remember, we read that in Ecclesiastes. It blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or predict where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Do you see that? The wind, there it is again, the Spirit. It's so good. Acts chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, a call back to the tabernacle we'll get into in the future, where uh, that separated and came to rest on each one of them. It wasn't that column of fire. It separated and landed on each one of them, meaning that God's presence filled the individual. So cool. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. These authors that wrote the New Testament, they weren't introducing a new idea. This is something that had existed from the very beginning. It had actually been a promise from the very beginning, which we're going to talk about in the future as well. It was not a new idea. The Spirit isn't this new thing that, oh, all of a sudden God's now going to manifest his presence in the Spirit. No, it's something from the very beginning. It was an expectation set from the earliest pages of Scripture. It's not something unique to the New Testament, but they're just tying together this entire scope of scriptural thought. What they're saying is this, this, this thing, this idea, this entity, this power, this presence that we've spoken about for thousands of years... It is now here, and it is now in us. And this was mind-blowing to people because they knew that the Spirit of God existed and it exerted its power among people, among people like Moses and David and Abraham and the prophets. But for, that was here, and it was for everyone. Everyone could have the wind in their sails. That was something mind-blowing for them to think about. Unbelievable. The Spirit is the wind in our sails. Now, I want you, as we, we're going to wrap up, but I want you, because there's so much more we could talk about, and I literally could go on and on and on. And I, I know some of you, you wouldn't be interested in that. I know maybe a few of you would, but, but I want to talk about, real quickly, two mistakes that we tend to make in our quest for the Spirit. Now, we may get into some particulars later, because often when you introduce a topic about the Spirit, or you introduce a sermon about the Spirit, you get into the details like, well, the Trinity and all those kinds of concepts that we want to talk about. But what we want to talk about right here is just like, when we, when we use that phrase, Spirit, what do we mean? What do we expect? What's going on? And I think people long for this. I think people long for an interaction with the presence and power of God. But I think there's two mistakes that a lot of people make when, this, when, when it comes to this idea. Number one mistake I think people make is that we tend to confuse spirit or the spirit and spiritual. Now, this may not be an issue so much for our audience in our day and age, but let me, let me say this. Everyone, whether or not you're a Christian or whether or not it's just a person kind of living their life, everyone longs for the spirit. I believe we were created to long to sense the presence of God. I think everyone longs for that. However... Much of our world tries to pursue that in crazy ways, just crazy ways. We long to be connected with the power and presence of God. In fact, I think most of us long, whether or not we're Christians, we long to be better than we could be on our own. 
We have a sense that there's more, that we have potential. We look at ourselves and we're like, well, he's got a lot of potential. He just needs to pull some things together. We long for something better. But then people get into some really weird areas and they start saying really new agey things like aura and energy. Or have you ever heard somebody say, yeah, the, the energy was just off. I think what they're trying to get at is that there's something bigger and broader that is, that is, that is around us and among us. And they want to tap into that and they just kind of go off the rails into this new agey sort of language. Language. The universe was speaking to me. You know, like, okay, that's great. What did, what did it say? One, uh, one member here at Woodbury was, was sharing with me that they were with a, uh, a relative of theirs who's very much into the earth. I don't know if that means anything to you, but they're very much into the earth. And they had to chop down a tree. And so they chopped down the tree, and the tree's laying on the ground. And this relative called this member's children over and said, hey, let's kneel down here by the tree. And you know what? We, we need to give thanks for the life of this tree, the sacrifice that this tree made for us. This tree died so that we could have this. He was building a shed so that we could have this space. And so we want to thank the tree for the shade that it gave us. And we want to thank the tree for the, for the way that it allowed the birds to live in its branches. And we want to thank the tree for the wood that it's going to provide to warm our home. And I mean, on one level, you're like, okay, great. You know, you acknowledge all that. On another level, like, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't thank the tree, but thank the God who made the tree, right? You know, you get a little, it gets a little crazy. But do you see what people are trying to go for when they do that sort of thing? Now, we might stand there and give them the side eye, and this, this member had to kind of talk to their kids later and say, all right, that's not really what we do. Uh, but, you know, you see what, what, what your uncle was going for there. Um, but I think it's people longing to be connected to something bigger than themselves. There's a desire there. There's a, there's an, a need there. And throughout history, humans have gotten it wrong, and it goes off the rails because they pursued spirituality rather than the spirit. Things like horoscopes and astrology rather than the spirit. But I think we all long to rise above our worst impulses, right? We all want to exercise supernatural patience with our family and friends and co-workers. We all want to see the, way, the world the way it is. All of us. One of the things I've been so frustrated with myself throughout all this COVID stuff is like when I get down and discouraged about it, I feel like there's a better way to see it. And I want to see it from God's point of view. I want to see what God is doing at this time. And I'm just seeing my Patrick's point of view. And sometimes it's a little gloomy and, uh, and doomy. But I want to see something better. I want to have the right word at the right time. I want to be guided by God. I want to experience the presence of God. I want the wind in the sails. And too often, we pursue that in other ways rather than through the Spirit. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1, 7, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us what? Power and love. And self-discipline. I would settle for just those three things. Those would be awesome. I think those three things would make my life a lot better. You want that. It's the wind filling the sails. And, and God wants that for you too. God wants you to have that. God wants you to rise above your weaknesses and say no to temptations and to seek him for wisdom and guidance. The second mistake we make is that we tend to focus on the boat and not the wind. We tend to focus on the boat and not the wind. How many of you have done this? Well, at least my life's not as bad as theirs. At least, uh, 
at least I'm doing better than they are. At least my kids aren't as well, poorly behaved as those kids are. Uh, at least, like, I've got some more stability in my life than they do. Like, you know what we're doing? We're just, we're just comparing boats. But, but none of that matters. You can, you can paint your boat. You can polish it. You can buy new sails. You are still not getting anywhere without the wind, without the Spirit of God empowering us to be and do more than we could on our own. Now, some of you are going to be like, well, yeah, it matters somewhat. Yeah, don't punch holes in your boat. Don't ruin your life. Don't make choices that, that just sink the ship of your life. But really, you're dead in the water without the Spirit. And I've thought of, that's been such a helpful metaphor for me for the last few weeks as I've been thinking about this, just to think about all my efforts, even my efforts to pull together a good, compelling sermon, they're really nothing without the Spirit of God filling the sails. All my efforts to just be a good parent or to be a good husband or be a good minister at the Woodbury Church of Christ, all the things I can do, I'm just painting the boat unless I am in tune with the Spirit of God. What did Paul write? He didn't call it the wind and the sails. Paul talked about it in terms of you need to be in step with the Spirit. That's how he described it. And we're going to talk about that too. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that. But we often just spend all our time focused on the boat and no time trying to find the wind. Now, I could go on. I told you I could go on and on, but I got to stop somewhere. But I just, I, I just want us to know that when they spoke of the Spirit of God, they were speaking of God's power and His presence pushing us further than we could on our own. And so every time you read the Spirit, about the Spirit, I want you to have that sense, God's power and His presence in enabling us, empowering us to go further than we could on our own. There's so many questions, though. Well, how do we find the wind? That's a great question. How do we find the wind? Uh, what does it mean? How, how it, the Bible talks about grieving the Spirit. What does that mean? How do we know what is the Spirit and what's not the Spirit? How do we know it's just my own desires or my own thing? How do we know, what, what do we do with some of the more outlandish things, Patrick? What about the things like speaking in tongues and the healings and all that stuff? Should we be seeing that stuff right here and right now? We'll talk about that. But I think for now, what we need to do is just, and, and honestly, if I've left you with more questions than answers, then I think we nailed it because there are a lot of questions and we'll get to those. But for now, I just want us as, as disciples to be open to the wind of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God working in us. I want, here's what I want. I didn't write this in my notes, but I'll, I'll share it with you. Maybe it's the spirit. I want us to find ourselves in moments where we are reacting better than we expect of ourselves. When we're sitting there uh, with our kids or our spouse and, and we, we are just way more kind and gracious than we thought we had the capacity to be. And we even look at ourselves and we're like, wow, where did that come from? I want us to feel like that is God's empowering presence in us, enabling us to go farther than we could on our own. So that's what I want for us as we explore the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, and then uh, we are going to be dismissed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want you to take anything that I've said, and if anything is, is getting in the way, just remove it from people's minds, and that your truth and your knowledge would get through. God, I pray that as we leave this room, it wouldn't be because we're in some special place, but because we have been filled with the Spirit, that we have been granted the gift of the Spirit, that we could sense your presence and your work in our lives. 
God, as we explore this topic, may we as believers, as disciples, walk in step with the Spirit, even if we don't know exactly what that means. Help us to desire that, to desire to grab the Spirit by the hand and to walk alongside. God, we thank you for for giving us an opportunity to explore ideas like this. And I just pray that we would sense the fullness and presence and power of your spirit today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.